of my message this morning is man does not live by bread alone. And when I was uh, kind of thinking about the prayer and feasting series and everything that means, we uh, have definitely given a lot of focus to hospitality and opening up your home and cooking someone a meal and, you know, how that really is the expression of Christianity and the expression of Christ, inviting someone into the place where you live. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples when they said, where do you live? He said, come and see. And I want us to be a church when uh, people speak... uh, introduce themselves to us or we introduce themselves to to them that it's not merely just a you know a one-time little interaction in a hallway and we say hi and we exchange a few pleasantries but we actually go deeper and uh, so we're all about hospitality c3 church is known as the party church but that's because god is a party god there is one part in the old testament where uh, God speaks to the Israelites and he made them ha- he, he made it a law for them to have a party every three days. I mean, if you think that God is boring, I would just ask you, are you really reading the Bible? He is a party God and therefore we are a party church. If there is an, any, an, any opportunity to have a celebration at C3 San Diego, we will take it. So get ready for Easter. Mark that in your calendars because we are going to go jackrabbit crazy and have the best time ever. There's going to be petting zoos with not one pony but multiple and more bouncy castles than you could possibly imagine and street food and not a street feud, street food. <laughs> And live music and best of all, there's going to be incredible gospel message and people are going to come to Jesus and the church is going to be built and the kingdom of heaven is going to be advanced and the kingdom of darkness is going to decrease so it's going to be a powerful time. But we love the party at C3. But I want to say this, can we take our hospitality a little bit deeper? You know, many of us... Sponsor children overseas and we send that $30 a month to make sure that they have bread on the table and an education and water to drink and those things are unbelievably important, incredibly important. But you know, most of us will never really engage with those sponsored children that we have overseas. So I want to say to you today, can we Maybe take it a step further in our own cities, in our own neighbourhoods, in, communica- in our own communities, where it's not just about breaking bread with someone and being hospita- hospitable to their, you know, the physical them, giving them food and drink, but also being hospitable to the human soul. It's one thing to break bread with someone, it's quite another to really get to know someone. And I don't want C3 Church to just be a friendly church. We want to build a church at C3 San Diego where people truly know what it is to be a friend. You know, when I think about the human soul and the cravings of the human soul, there are many things that we can't do for each other as humans. There are some things that only God can do, some needs, some cravings that only God can fill. The Bible, well, actually, the Bible doesn't say this, but there was a song out there that says there is a God-shaped whole in all of us and the Bible says that we were created by God for God so there are some things that man cannot fulfill in another man only God can do that but I believe that there are things that we as humans can give and extend to each other so I want us to take a minute to look at this scripture now this is the scripture that I want you to view this entire message through I want you to put on this scripture like a pair of spectacles and everything I say I want you to view it through this scripture It's found in Matthew 7, 
verse number 12. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I'm going to say it one more time. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, obviously the first sentence is, whatever you want men to do to you, do unto them. But then he says, by this you're fulfilling the law and the prophets. In other words, this is one part of the Bible that does not change ever. You know how in the Old Testament there was the law, the Levitical laws that came out and said you can't eat shellfish and you can't have this meat with milk and all these different things. A lot of those things were eradicated in the New Testament, in the Testament of grace. But Jesus is saying here this law, this particular thing is eternal. This lasts forever. This is never, ever going to change. Whatever you want men to do to you, do first unto them. You know, I'm a big believer that if we all lived by this principle, we would have the most functional, happy, healthy society. I think if we treat every other person like we should be treated, then the world would be such a better place. It's my belief that as Christians, we should treat other people as if they are more important than us. So what are those cravings that the human soul has that we as other humans can satisfy? Well, I put down three that I think uh, probably stand out more than, than any other. And the first one is this. These are just simple, back-to-basics things this morning. The first craving of the human soul is this, to be welcomed. To actually walk into a room and feel like somebody is happy to have you there. You know, the word welcome actually means to be greatly received. And one of the greatest values at C3 Church is that every person who enters our doors feels like they are, that people are happy to have them here, that they are welcomed. And that starts out in the parking lot. I am a big believer that the message is preached from the parking lot. That's why when you drive in, we don't have one person who's distracted with a little, you know, Jedi lightsaber. We, I mean, there was almost like 15 guys out there this morning. <clears throat> so your first impression when you drive into C3 San Diego isn't, where is the church? I have no idea. We've got sign spinners. We've got the Ornelia boys who are just legends, teenagers who know what it means to do unto others as they would have done unto them, who stand on the corner for, you know, 20, 30 minutes every Sunday and they flip signs. And uh, all the right signs, flip signs, kind of didn't sound. Sorry, can get lost in translation. <clears throat> and then we drive in and we see awesome Colin Tubb, our legendary intern. There he is, who never stops smiling. I love this guy because he has a perma smile. He's like the Canadian version of Joel Osteen right there. We love him. But I'm telling you, the human soul craves a welcome. And there is nothing worse than walking into a building and feeling like you shouldn't be there. That nobody's happy you came. I remember going to a church, uh, it was about eight years ago when Pastor Jürgen and I first moved to the US. A very famous big church uh, a little further north. 
from here. And my husband was away at the time. He was off ministering in another church. And I decided I'm going to kind of get the lay of the land. I'm going to check out some of these big, awesome churches, maybe find out the secret to their success. And I arrived with my children. I had three kids at the time. And my youngest, Tommy, was about three years of age. And I was walking in holding him. He was a mummy's boy. And I've got to say, I absolutely love that. Just hanging on to me. And I dropped my other kids off at Kids Church. And I went to walk in the auditorium. And an usher grabbed me by the hand and looked at me and glared at me and said, Ma'am, you cannot bring that baby in here. So my first impression was not only am I not welcome... But my three-year-old's not welcome either. Now, she didn't go on to say, but we have an awesome, you know, room where you can sit with your child and you can watch the service together and whatever we can do to make it more comfortable. It was literally just a hand grab, a glare, and ma'am, you cannot bring that baby in here. Now, at C3 San Diego, I would like to believe that people are more important than our rules and our legislation. Doesn't mean I'm going to let you bring your coffee in here. (laughs) But at the same time, when we lose sight of the importance of welcoming someone because we have rules and regulations, because we have to check a box, we've missed the entire premise of the gospel, that all are welcome, all are to be received. In fact, the book of Romans says this, it says in Romans 15, 7, therefore receive one another. Remember? To be welcome means to be gladly received. Receive one another as Christ has received us to the glory of God. Do you know when you welcome people, when you receive someone greatly, it glorifies God. People go, there must be something about this faith because these are the friendliest people I've ever encountered in my life. You might find that you come to C3 San Diego and it almost feels like you're pestered. I can't get... Two paces without having somebody want to shake my hand or smile at me or invite me out for lunch or a connect group. Yes, that is our plan. Because we want you to see that God's house is an awesome house. It's not just a place where people come and have little interactions and go back to their usual life. But it's a family. It's a community. And we want to let the world know that we're so glad you came. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a football banquet. Coach Rooney, you were there one of the coaches of Santa Fe Christian football team, legend. And this was the first one of these banquets that I'd been invited to. Now, this was, um, you know, a very prestigious event. And my husband, again, was out of town, so I went by myself. I've gone a lot of places by myself. (laughs) It's good for me. And I walk in, and I'm there with my 14-year-old son. And, um, you know, I walk into this room, and there is, like, this very well organized strong community of people that all have their friends and their relationships and you know I was kind of new to the group and I remember walking in and seeing all these big tables filled with people who are deep in their conversations and you know had their people to talk to and the deep friendships and connections and I was walking in and I felt like I was in high school again kind of like you know Forrest Gump when he gets on the bus for the first time he's walking up the aisle seats taken seats taken and I'm just walking in next to my 14 year old thinking oh dear god I don't know anybody hardly where am I going to sit what's going to happen it was like you know flashbacks of high school and I followed my son to his table and he was sitting with all his friends and he looked at me and goes mom you can't sit with me (laughs) like 
And that would look tragic too, wouldn't it? The 38-year-old woman at the table with 14-year-old boys. And so I'm like, okay, Leanne, you're strong, you're brave, you can do this, you don't know anyone, but you can go insert yourself and just, just walk. And the whole time I'm praying, oh, dear Jesus, please compel somebody to ask me to come sit with them please I don't want to look like you know the loser without any friends and I'm walking and praying under my breath the whole time and suddenly from across the room a woman that I'd met maybe half the time in my entire life calls out Leanne Leanne Matesius oh I didn't know you were coming are you here by yourself come sit with us look I'll get this person to move down you can sit by me and my husband and immediately I just felt this incredible relief ah I belong someone's glad I'm here I was welcomed and you know that's the experience I want for people when they come into God's house we are so glad you're here you know and often in church we can get so distracted with all the people that we maybe have connections with and we've been invested for a really long time that we forget what it's like to be new to walk into a place like this for the first time and feel like I'd, I'd uncomfortable and I don't know where to sit and I, why are they all so happy and clappy and the whole deal and I, I just don't know whether I belong. To actually reach our hand out to someone like that and say, we're so glad you came. Have you got someone to sit with? Can you sit with me? Do you, can I do anything for you? That's why Jesus said, do unto others as you would have done unto you. We greatly receive people. You know, my father-in-law... Uh, was in San Diego two years ago with his, with his girlfriend. Pastor Jürgen's mother passed away, I think it was about five years ago, and uh, obviously very tragic. And then a couple of years ago, my father-in-law started dating a woman from France. And so they came over to vi visit us about two years ago, and the thing about my uh, father-in-law's girlfriend, Josie, is she doesn't know hardly any English. So... I mean, it was totally lost in translation. I was trying to remember the French that I knew from seventh grade, like un kilo de fraise, civil play, which means, can I have a kilo of strawberries? And I thought I can maybe say that once, but that's it. Otherwise, she's going to think I'm some strange, fruit-obsessed person. So the only connection we had was through hospitality. Now, this particular time, we were uh, at this particular uh, season um, we had you know been invited we were meeting new people in the church and all kinds of things were happening we've been invited over to some people's house from the church and so we said well is it okay if we uh, bring uh, Jürgen's dad and his new girlfriend Josie and she came along and nobody could really speak to her with English but I'm telling you just the way that she was received just the way that she was welcomed she was brought up in an atheistic home in a very atheistic country but then that following Sunday she had such a great time at the dinner she came to church and she was in church and I was so incredibly proud of our church congregation they welcomed her with open arms even even though there was that uh, gap in translation with them not being able to understand her and she not being able to understand them, there was something far deeper and far greater that she caught and that was, people are glad to have me here. I'm welcome in this place. And she sat in that message not understanding a word of it. And she could maybe say a few sentences, a few little words strung together in broken English. And at the end, she came up to me with tears in her eyes and she said to me, I have never seen anything like this before. 
I have never seen. And she was touching my face. She had tears coming down her eyes. And I put my hands together and I said, can I pray for you? Jesus loves you. <laughs> I was trying my best to do sign language. And she goes, wee, 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 wee. Sounded like one of the little pigs. Wee, 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 all the way home. <laughs> And so I took her over to the bookshop after praying and, you know, people just came around. People could see, even with the language barrier, that this woman was so touched and so moved by what she'd felt and what she'd experienced. It wasn't anything she'd heard with her ears, but everything she'd felt with her heart. That craving of the human soul, am I welcome? She didn't even hear the message of the gospel, but she felt it with her heart, with her soul, and she responded. And now she's learning English. After two years, she's getting much better. Every card she sends us, she puts scripture in it. Every single card. She received Jesus in her heart and she sends us cards all the time with scriptures. And some of them are so random. We got one, Proverbs 12, like a ring of gold in a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. I'm like, okay, we can work with that. Unless, unless that's a prophetic word from the Lord. For me, I, I don't know, but just absolutely beautiful. Never underestimate the power of a welcome. You know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes to the house of Simon the Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee is basically the religious leader of the time. And he's sitting there and all of a sudden it's a famous story because a woman rushes in and she was a prostitute and she wanted to change her ways and she falls at the feet of Jesus and the Bible says that she uh, cried and washed his feet with her tears and then, you know, she kissed his feet and she anointed his head with oil. And everybody was in a flutter and there was chatter. Well, if this guy, Jesus, was a man of God, then he would know what manner of woman is that touches him. You know, the interesting thing about that story is Jesus arrived in Simon the Pharisee's house and after this whole kind of display goes on and of course he speaks to the woman lovingly, welcomes her and tells her her sins are forgiven. He turns to Simon the Pharisee, the churchgoer, the guy who should know better and says to him, Simon, when I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil and you did not kiss my cheek. In other words, Simon, you have forgotten the power of a welcome. You know what? In church, guys, let us not have the spirit of Simon the Pharisee where we forget the power of a welcome. It is the welcome that changes people's lives. Being greatly received saved my father-in-law's girlfriend and she is now uh, looking forward to an eternity in heaven and her name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Never underestimate the power of a welcome. The second thing that every human soul craves is to be comforted. To be comforted. I love the movie Braveheart. Absolutely love the movie Braveheart. I'm not a chick flick fan myself. Don't like chick flicks because I've done too much pastoral care in my time and it seems to me that they are the core reason of why women screw up relationships. I'm like, you're basing your relationship off a guy who's not real. That's not real life. That doesn't happen, nor should it. I'm like, no, I'm not watching those shows. I'm not perpetuating the lie. So I like Braveheart, violence, gore, all that kind of stuff, just like the Bible. 
And there was one scene and it moves me every time and I like to watch that movie and others once a year just to get my heart right and just to get my focus right. And there's one scene where the English princess, the Princess of Wales, meets with William Wallace and she's there to plead on behalf of King Longshanks and say, why are you sacking English countries? What is it that you want? We live in peace. And he looked at her and he said, one day, one day you will be a queen. But first you must learn to open your eyes. Open your eyes. You know, each of us have been called to be royalty as God's children. But first we must learn to open our eyes and see what's really going on. You know, we can pass by people every day that may be going through the greatest trials, the greatest challenges and have absolutely no idea. But I believe that God wants to raise up a church that has eyes to see, that will open their eyes and see beyond maybe what the external is saying to see what the internal is screaming. You know, there's, a, there's an article that I read just recently about a place in Japan called the Cuddle Shop. The Cuddle Shop. On its website, the cafe claims to provide customers starved of human contact with a comfortable environment to enjoy the warmth of another person without sexual contact. Customers can choose to sleep next to someone for $75 an hour, where can I get that job, or enjoy a minute-long hug for $125 sold. <laughs> $125 for a minute-long hug. People are paying for something that we should freely give, but because we live in a sex-crazed world that goes from zero to hero in a heartbeat and they miss the whole joy of companionship and comfort and true intimacy, we've now got to set up cuddle shops. You know what? I believe the Church of God should be the greatest cuddle shop on the face of the earth. And we don't have to charge $125 a minute for the privilege either. <laughs> Comfort people. You know, the Bible says again in Romans, it's in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Brian Houston, one of the heroes of uh, the faith and a man that Pastor Yogan and I very much respect, said to me once, and I'll never forget it, he said, Leanne, as I've got older, after 40 years in ministry, I've realized I need to go to less weddings and more funerals. He said, I've seen in my many years of pastoring that nobody will ever really have a problem finding somebody to celebrate with them. But it's very hard to find someone to stand with you in your trials. What is a craving of the human soul? It's comfort in our darkest hours. And oftentimes I feel that we shy away from comforting people or being there for people in their darkest hours simply because we can't fix it. We don't know how to fix it, so we want to avoid it altogether. And I, you know what? That's true. There are some things we can't fix. There are some things that only God can fix. And God oftentimes does not send you there to fix it. He just sends you there to be a friend in someone's darkest hour. Your very presence will change the climate of somebody's life as they're walking through a storm. You don't have to fix it. You don't always have to pray the right prayer or have the, the word of wisdom that will unlock, you know, the future for them. Sometimes just you being there and putting an arm around their soul, shoulder and saying to them, I'm here for you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to stay here. When everybody walks out, I will still be here because I'm your friend. It's 
what the church is all about. Every human soul craves comfort as they walk through the hard times. You know, even Jesus did. Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 36 to 38, then Jesus went with his disciples. Now, this was the, the, the night just before he was crucified. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Sometimes it's not about what you say. It's just about your presence as someone goes through their darkest hour. Stay here and keep watch with me. And I know from personal experience as I've walked through some of the darkest times in my life, even though friends may come and be not, be, not be able to fix the situation, the situation is made so much more bearable just by their very presence, just by an arm around your, their, their shoulder saying, I'm here for you. I'm not going to let you go and I'm not going to let you walk through this alone. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. At C3 Church San Diego, we don't breed fair weather friends. People that are just around when the sun is shining, when the birds are singing, when there's lots of money in the bank account, but ones who are committed to every day. Just like a marriage, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Oftentimes we're so happy to be with people on the mountaintops, but when they hit the valleys, it's like, uh, backing away backing away. I don't know whether I can handle this, but God has called his church to be different. Wouldn't you, wouldn't I love to have somebody stand with us when we walk through our darkest times? That's why Jesus said this particular scripture in Matthew 7, whatever you want done unto you, do unto others. That's why he said this, this one lasts forever. This is the golden rule. It's the eternal law. Whatever you would like somebody else to do for you, do it first unto them. Wouldn't you like someone to stand with you and put their arm around you when you walk through your darkest day, then have eyes to see, just as William Wallace said to the Princess of Wales, have eyes to see. See beyond maybe what the external says and start to look deeper and really comfort the needs of a hurting world around you. A true friend walks in when everybody else walks out. And lastly, the last craving of the human soul that we as other humans can extend is this, to be given a second chance. To be given a second chance. What hell it is to be boxed into a prison of the past, never being allowed the breathing room to change. I've got a funny story to tell you. Every time I go back to Australia, and we were just there recently, uh, one of my sisters always has to tell the story about how I gave her a cat food sandwich. <laughs> Which, personally, I think is genius. <laughs> she was studying for her final exams and um, I thought, okay, because this particular sister and I had always kind of been at, you know, loggerheads. And I said, well, I'll make you a sandwich, Julie, as you uh, prepare for your exams. And I went out and she loved tuna fish. So I thought, hmm, the perfect crime. <laughs> And I got the, the cat food and I spread it on the bread and put some mayonnaise and some lettuce and took it out to her. And of course, if any of you have smelled cat food, it kind of smells the same as tuna fish. 
And so she picked it up, not believing. I mean, she should have known by the fact that I was the one giving her the sandwich that something's not right here. Took a bite and, oh, baby, it was on. (laughs) But I was 12 when that happened. That was 26 years ago. And without fail, every time I go back, the first thing she'll say is, remember when you gave me that cat food sandwich? (laughs) I am locked in the prison of the past. I'm like, I am not that woman anymore. I am the responsible head of a household. I hardly ever give anybody cat food sandwiches anymore. (laughs) It's fully locked in my past. But in all seriousness, we can totally rob ourselves of the beauty of seeing a life changed and a life transformed if we refuse to give people a second chance. You know, the Bible is the book of second chances. There is a story in the Bible about a guy by the name of Peter, and many of you would know him. He was kind of loud and boisterous and reckless, and it was in Jesus' darkest hour when someone approached Peter and said, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of his disciples? I saw you with him that the Bible says that Peter denied Jesus three times. Denied him three times. One of his closest in his hour of need denied him three times. And then we know the story. Jesus goes on to be crucified but, and then is laid in a tomb. And Mary, one of Jesus' followers, came to anoint his body and to uh, just make sure that everything was being looked after around the gravesite. And as she walked in, we know the story, she saw the tomb empty and sitting there were grave clothes and a young man and this young man was an angel of the Lord. And and the angel of the Lord said to Mary, Jesus isn't here, but here's what I want you to do because he's risen. I want you to go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. In other words, Mary, you might have seen the whole denial incident You may have seen all those things that went down just before Jesus was crucified and the betrayal that happened. But I just want to let you know that God is the God of the second chance. And even though you may think that he's lost his opportunity, that he's backslidden in his heart, that he's done his dash, I want you to see that I am a God of the second chance. Go tell the disciples and Peter. That's the God we serve. The God of the second chance. I would like to think that at C3 San Diego, we don't have just a whole lot of grace for the sinner and the unbeliever. And they can walk in and receive Jesus and we're happy and we're excited. But what about the person who's been a Christian for a while and maybe let us down, maybe offended us, maybe said something we didn't like, maybe lives their lives in a manner that you feel is inappropriate, but they walk back into the doors of the church and they ask for a second chance? Will you give it to them? Matthew 7, whatever you want men to do to you, first do unto them. You know, I've heard it said, makes me spit and mad, that C3 church is soft on sin. Let me tell you why that's wrong. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin are death. And to infer that we are soft on sin is to infer that we do not love people and nothing could be further than the truth. Sin kills, sin destroys, sin corrupts, sin breaks families apart, sin causes people to lose their jobs, sin causes people to lose their minds. If we were soft on sin, then we should not be in this pulpit. 
So let me just make it clear. We are not soft on sin. However, we are very big on the second chance. And you might see people in this church and you think, well, I know how they've lived. I know what they've done. How could they, how could they associate? How could they let them in? How could they possibly give them a second chance? We give people second chances because Jesus Christ did that. He gave you and me and every single human from when time began till the end of time a second chance. The whole premise... The whole foundation of the life of, Je of Jesus is that he gives second chances. I'd love it if the keys could come as we come to a close this morning. He's the God of the second chance. Jesus had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And it's pretty famous because he uttered these words that you'll see everywhere in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever, whosoever, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they've been, regardless of who they've been connected to, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He's the God of a second chance. Those words were an actual conversation with a real man by the name of Nicodemus and he said to him, in order to receive me, you must accept the second chance. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus couldn't understand how can I return to my mother's womb and be born again. He said, I don't want you to be born again of water, but born again of the Spirit. And I want to say to you today, if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been here a couple of times and you, you've never received the second chance that Jesus offers, today is your day. Oh, He loves you so much. You know, Jesus goes on to say in John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. Oh, he loves you. Oh, he loves you. Oh, he loves you. And church, we have an obligation to extend that second chance to the people around us. You don't have a right, if you're a Christian, to hang on to unforgiveness. You don't have a right as a Christian to hang on to an attitude against a brother who may be sinned against you. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said to them this. He said, if anyone sins against you, if they come to you repentant, you are to forgive them. And if your brother sins against you seven times and returns to you seven times in repentance, you must forgive him. Why? Because he's the God of the second chance. What he gave to you and I, he wants to extend to everybody. We live in a world that is desperate to know, does God love me? Can God forgive me? Can I really have a relationship with him? Some of them not daring to utter the things they've done, the places that they've been for fear that they'll be rejected. And we need to send out the message of the second chance. I'd love it if every eye was closed and every head was back.